the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Let Us Reason, and this is yet another episode of Updates from our social media site, Facebook. The reason why we've been doing these updates is because the Facebook is becoming more and more popular. In addition to our website and YouTube channel, people are definitely taking the time to interact with us, both Muslims and non-Muslims, believers and non-believers. And today I'm going to talk about a couple of issues related to some of the posts that I have. For instance, in September 29th, I posted something about the Quran in context. It's really a play on words, what I meant is the Quran out of context. And here's why I did that. Muslims, if you are interacting with them, are notorious for taking verses out of context and building an entire theology uh, uh, for them. And especially when it comes to the Bible, they take one verse, like when Jesus says, I came to do the will of him who sent me. And that's it. That's all they focus on. They ignore the immediate context. They ignore the bigger context. And they ignore even the biblical context of who Jesus is. They would say, well, look, look look what Jesus himself says. How can you say that he is God or the son of God? Well, the problem is this. If you take anything out of context, it is so easy now to create your own teaching and your own understanding and your own interpretation. So what I did is I showed the Muslim friends an example of that if you were to mess also with the Quran in the same fashion. So I went to chapter 73 of the Quran, verses 2 to 4, and when you read verses 2 to 4 in chapter 73, this is what you begin to see. Here is the God of Islam is talking to the Prophet of Islam and saying this, stand, meaning the God is telling Muhammad, Stand, Muhammad, at night for prayer. Half of the night or make it a little less than half. Or make it even a little more than half. Okay? And recite the Quran clearly. What what are we hearing right now? If I were to read these verses only, which I did right here in this post, I focused only on them. And I said, anyone now? who is reading these passages, can come up with this simple conclusion. The God of Islam supposedly is rebuking Muhammad for not standing for prayer and for not reading the Quran and reciting it. You see how, how that works? You can do it all day long, actually, if you want. But what benefit do I get out of this? 
nothing other than just to show my Muslim friends that what you do to the Bible can easily be done to you from the Quran. It's not a big deal. Our important issue is this. If you are serious, if you're someone who really want to know why Jesus is God incarnate, why Jesus was sent by God as a savior, who is Jesus himself, then we ought to really look at things in context. So, for instance, in the Quran, the Quran talks about Jesus as the word of God. You find this in chapter 4, verse 171. But Muslims are convinced that the idea that Jesus is the word of God means that God made him by his word. Not at all. You don't find a single reference to this in the Bible. Let me take you to John, for instance. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting from verse 1. In the beginning was the word. Who is this word? And the word was with God. Two distinct persons already. And the word was God. You see? You're talking about the word who was with God, two distinct person, but now his essence, he is a deity. He is God. On top of that, it says this in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. That is amazing. Not only he was with God from the beginning, meaning he pre-existed, he is eternal, and he's a distinct person from the person of the Father, and he is one with the Father as God, okay? He is the maker of all things, and nothing was made without him. So how can he be created if he himself made all things? I don't understand it, to be honest with you. And then it says in verse 4, in him was life. So if Adam received life, he received life from the word of God, from Christ, okay? And the life was the light of men, okay? That's how men come to life and begin to act and interact. But then in verse 14, we read the following, and the word became flesh, okay? The same word who is God, who is with God, became flesh, the Word became flesh. Sometimes we use casually, God became flesh. No, no, no. The Word of God became flesh. The second person of the Trinity took on the form of a servant. Jesus is God incarnate, okay? These are very important terminologies that we have to use to help people understand their misunderstanding. Not only he took on the form of a servant, became flesh, he also dwelt among us. God wanted us to see him in action because no one can see God. In fact, verse 18 in John 1 tells us exactly that. What does it say? No one has ever seen God. The only begotten God of the Father who is at the Father's side, who is at the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. He interpreted him to us. He exegeted him to us. You go to chapter 17 in verse 26, chapter 17 of John, verse 26. Jesus, our Lord, said exactly that. I made you known to them. I made your name known to them. He's speaking to the Father and saying, Father, I made you known to humanity. By what? By virtue of becoming flesh, coming to earth, and now everybody knows what God expects of them. You see now, if you put it in context... 
now you have a bigger, basically, understanding of what is going on when we call Jesus the Word of God. Let me show you now how important it is even to put it in a biblical context, not just in the immediate context. So if we go, for instance, to Philippians chapter 2, and we read from verse 5, Paul, now inspired by the Holy Spirit to teach us this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, he says. Who, meaning Christ, though he was in the form of God, you see, he is God, did not count equality with God, meaning he is equal to the Father as God, a thing to be grasped. By the way, we worship one God, according to the scripture, who revealed himself in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? So have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing, to be grasped, but emptied himself. How? By taking the form of a servant. Notice that's when the word became flesh. Being born in the likeness of man. Okay, how was he born? He wasn't born in a super special looking uh, body. No, born just like us in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient To the point of death. So when Jesus says, I came to do the will of him who sent me, Jesus, the Son of God, is obedient to the Father. That's what it is, basically. And obedient to the point of fulfilling the Father's purpose to redeem us by becoming our sacrifice on the cross, the point of death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, and name here indicate his person, his authority, who he is. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And my Muslim friends, I'm going to tell you this. Every knee includes you, by the way. Like it or not, deny Jesus or accept him. The day will come when you bow the knee to him. You either bow the knee, accepting him, or you will be forced to bow to him on judgment day. And judgment against you will not pretty, will not be pretty at all. Because if you denied him, he will too deny you. So every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Heavenly beings, angels will bow the knee. Living people on earth when he come back will bow the knee. Dead people will rise and bow the knee. And every tongue Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, God himself is pleased with this. So we need to always remind ourselves of things like this. Don't just take things out of context and build an entire doctrine just because you feel like it. So that's one of the reasons why I made that post. You can call it silly if you want. That's fine. I was trying to deliver the point. You act silly, we can act silly too. You want to take things out of context? Big deal. We can take things out of context. And let's see who's going to end up winning at the end. We both lose, actually, if we play this game. So let's keep it simple. And let's keep it focused on the truth. Now, in another post also that I did in September 28th, I talked about something significant. 
I called it the Islamic Dilemma, which part of my, which is basically part of my series that I always post called the Islamic Dilemma. And this time I talked about idolatry in Islam. Yes, idolatry in Islam. Many times people get shocked and surprised to hear something like this, especially my Muslim people. Muslim people present Islam as if it's the religion that came to fight idolatry. I don't think so. And I'm going to prove my point to you right now. The idea and the notion of facing Mecca on a daily basis for prayer is an act of idolatry because you are facing a building made by human hands. Okay, this building, this shrine called the Kaaba is found in Mecca. And the Kaaba basically is what Muslims face daily for prayer. Okay, and in order to do this, they have to face it precisely, actually. Initially, according to the traditions of Islam, Muslims face Jerusalem, actually. Since 610 AD until 624, they face Jerusalem. But then when the Jews rejected Muhammad, the traditions tells us that God, the God of Islam, Allah, whomever he is, we don't know him because our God is not Allah. That God told Muhammad, basically, it's time now for you to change the direction of Qibla. That's the Arabic word for it. Direction of prayer from Jerusalem to Mecca. Now, let me ask you this question. Can you find me a single reference in the Bible where God commanded his people to face Jerusalem daily for prayers? If you can find it, please come to my Facebook and post it right there, and I will honor it for you, okay? And the other thing also is this. Technically speaking, when Muhammad began to face Mecca, him and his followers, at the year 624, Muhammad never cleansed Mecca from idolatry and from the idols inside that place, the Kaaba and the shrine and surrounding it, until 630 AD. So for six years at least, Muhammad and his followers not only were facing an idol called the Kaaba, but facing other idols as well and praying towards them and bowing down to them. Okay? Now, here is the verse in the Quran that commanded this in chapter 2, verse 144. Verily, we have seen the turning of your face towards the heaven. Surely, we shall turn you to a Qibla, prayer direction basically, that shall please you. So turn your face in the direction of al-Masjid al-Haram, meaning Mecca. Okay? Here's the problem with this, by the way. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 5, Exodus 20, verses 4 to 5, God gave these commandments to Moses. And here is what the commandments said. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. There you have it. It can't get any clearer than this. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, okay? Serve them by way of going there and circling around the Kaaba, performing pilgrimage to Mecca and around the Kaaba, praying to the Kaaba daily. God already made it clear, if you do this, you are violating basically the commandment. And as a result of this, 
you are technically speaking not presenting what God actually is asking you to present. You're violating the commandment. Here is another damaging passage. Our Lord Jesus himself said this to the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, verses 19, chapter 4, verses 19 to 24. Here is what he says. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Okay? She's saying we the Samaritans worship at a different mountain. We have our own temple. But you guys, you Jews, say that you ought to worship at a different mountain in Jerusalem. Look what Jesus' response was. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Right there, you're going to assume that Jesus is saying, you should not pray to your mountain, but pray to ours, because we know what we're worshiping. But Jesus actually did not say this. He proceeded to tell her, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What is the point Jesus was making? People don't worship God facing this mountain or that mountain. You worship him in spirit. He is everywhere. Wherever you are, you can worship God. Nothing should stop you from doing so. Okay? It is perfectly clear then that from the above biblical passages that I just shared with you, that the true God never enforced this idea of praying towards an object that represented him. Whether a Muslim think God exists in Mecca or this is a place that represents him, Either way, this form of worship is idolatry because it's violating one of the Ten Commandments that God made very clear that you should not make images and you should not bow down to them or serve them. As a result, basically, I am asking uh, or I have this conclusion uh, that I want my Muslim people to wrestle with. Islam by asking people to pray to a man-made object called the Kaaba, is promoting idolatry. And the prophet of Islam is the one who promoted this worship of a foreign object, and therefore he's not worshiping the true God. Rather, he is promoting a message of a foreign God. Okay? Now my questions to my Muslim friends. Why do we have then to determine an exact direction for Mecca if prayer is actually not necessarily have to be precise towards Mecca? Do you know that there is an app on smartphones now that can help you if you are a Muslim to download it to find exactly the direction of Mecca? I mean, why do you need an app like this that uses satellite in order for it to find uh, and GPS uh, technology to find you precisely where Mecca is? Why is that? If God is everywhere, why, why do you need to do something like this? What's the big deal about it? And why did the Prophet of Islam instruct his followers to never 
face Mecca when they're in the bathroom. Isn't this an indication that technically it's a holy site where God supposedly is present there? So when you're facing Mecca while in the bathroom, relieving yourself, literally, that's what he says, then that's a violation of that holiness. So you have to have a wall or a curtain. Better yet, don't even face it if you can. So that's another thing that you have to basically wrestle with. Why is that? Why is such a thing important, basically, to make? And according to this, there is this tradition that I'm going to share with you. Muhammad says, I'm currently building one, uh, I should say, fatwa, I should say, I'm sorry, a, a fatwa, meaning someone was asking a religious clerk who will later use Muhammad as an example. He's saying, I am currently building a house and I have been told that the toilets must be placed in such a manner that they do not face towards the Qibla, meaning towards Mecca. Is that correct? Even if there is a wall in front of them. So the answer is, it is narrated in Sahih report that the Prophet forbade facing towards the Qibla or turning one's back towards it when relieving oneself. The majority of scholars are of the view that this prohibition applies to one who is relieving himself in a place where there is no screen between him and the Qibla, meaning Mecca, but inside of buildings. However, he proceeded to say that one of the radical scholars, Ibn Taymiyyah, who is very rigid in his interpretation, He said his view is that it is completely prohibited to face Mecca, whether behind the screen or wall or not. Therefore, you should change the direction of the bathroom all together. Okay? So let me ask this question. What exactly is the object lesson that we are learning here? Why do I have to really worry about whether I'm facing Mecca or I'm not facing Mecca? Isn't God everywhere? Didn't Jesus say that we worship the Father in spirit and in truth? The true worshipers is what God is seeking, not towards this mountain or that mountain. If Muhammad is truly the prophet of Deuteronomy 18 that Muslims are convinced he is, he is the prophet like Moses as Muslims are convinced he is that prophet in Deuteronomy 18.18 when God told Moses, I will raise a prophet from from among their brethren like you. They're saying that's Muhammad. If he is indeed a prophet like Moses, then right here he violated the commandments that Moses revealed to the people by not to create images and bow down to them and serve them. So I'm confused. How can Muhammad be a prophet like Moses when Moses himself never promoted idolatry and Moses himself never allowed his followers to do such a thing because it is absolutely a travesty to worship God in such a way. So these are the things that my Muslim people must wrestle with. Also, just a reminder, uh, you can go, as always, to our website at sirainternational.com, sirainternational.com, and you can watch our video series in there. You can watch some of our lectures and so on and so forth. Also, you can go to our YouTube channel, also named Sira International. And remember, the C is C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A International. Watch many of our videos. And one of those is the new series that myself and our brother David Wood, we've been doing together, 
We just re uh, released episode number five called Did Muhammad Perform Miracles? Did Muhammad Perform Miracles? It's me and David Wood talking and discussing issues like this. We've released five so far. We have at least four more to go and pray for this ministry, the combined effort, because we're building more and more of those videos together so that we can collaborate together for the sake of bringing light to our people. My brothers and sisters, I thank you again for supporting this ministry. You can always go to our YouTube uh, channel and become a subscriber and maybe even a partner if you wish. You can go to our website, www.sirainternational.com and connect with me if you like. I'm your host, Al Fadi. And if you're just tuned in, you've been listening to uh, Let Us Reason. And you can always go to our website, sirainternational.com and listen to the archive show. And watch all of these videos on our website as well that I've been referring to. And please send us a friend request to our Facebook page, alfadi.sira or the other one, Sira International. Until we meet again, have a blessed week. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.